What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Rest of Season Rankings Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Seifter, joined as always by my co-host, Bar Wheeler. It is fantasy baseball season. We just put out our catcher preview the other day, so check that out if you haven't heard it yet. And we are going to be doing first base today. I'm pretty pumped. Bart, how you feeling? Feeling good. I love first base. I used to play a little first base back in the day, but that was a long time ago. So, um, yeah, it's a lot different previewing first base. Uh, I know we'll get into kind of some strategy. Uh, I, I'm just going to say right off the bat, like, with catcher, you know, we talked about, like, sort of 8 or 10 guys, maybe 12 that we really felt good with. With first base, like, I kind of feel the same way for, like, my first baseman, but then the position lends itself to drafting a second guy, maybe even a third guy, because a lot of these guys have multiple position eligibility. we got guys who can play outfield, guys who can play second, third. So we'll talk about a lot more guys today, I'm sure. Yeah, it's a very deep position, but you did take me back there saying you used to play a little first base. <laughs> I played a little first base as well. I uh, nice. primarily was a pitcher, and my main infield position was third base, but uh, I did play some first as well as short and second all over the, the diamond Uh not much of an outfielder, but uh, all over the <laughs> infield. And, uh, you know, I, first base is funny. They say it's like the it's not a tough defensive position. But um, if you mess up at first base, it has dire consequences. So, you yeah. know, in those like little league years, they, you need to be a good defender to play first base. You need to be able to scoop those throws in the dirt. Sometimes you got that special glove. So there's, <laughs> there's a lot that goes into it. Absolutely. I'm thinking about um, the money ball scene where, uh, Washington's trying to teach Scott Hatterberg and it's like, you know, Billy Bean's sitting there and is saying, you know, we can we can convert you from catcher to first. Like it's easy. Like tell him Wash and he's like, it's incredibly difficult. <laughs> it's yeah, <not> exactly. <laughs> so maybe at the major league level it's uh, not as demanding a position as some of the others, but it's it's certainly not a piece of cake. No. Um, but it is a position where we do tend to find uh, a lot of uh Big-time hitters, um, yeah. you know, gravitate to this position. I feel like it's not quite the same that way as it maybe was back in, I don't know, the 80s, 90s, 2000s, where, you know, you'd have these huge, massive guys at the position. You still have some of those, but mm-hmm. um, I feel like it's diversified a little bit more. Um, but it's still a position where you're likely to find power, um, maybe not as much uh, in terms of uh, batting average, but you can find steals here and there at the position uh, too nowadays. So um, in that sense, it's a little different than the past, but it's certainly a place uh, where you can find pretty high end fantasy production. Yeah. I mean, even, even Vlad jr. Right up here, you know, we'll talk about him at the top. He had eight steals last year, which was kind of interesting. And um, you know, a guy who was a sleeper on a lot of boards last year, Nathaniel Lowe. Yeah. He had, he had eight stolen bases the year before, but then he didn't really do much, you know? So, Getting getting a few stolen bases, you know, seven, eight, nine stolen bases from a first baseman uh, can be really important in Roto Leagues because this is sort of position, like you said, you think of getting power. I like to have a first baseman like a Pete Alonzo, like some of these guys like who are just right in the heart of that order in a good lineup and might hit 40-plus home runs. So uh, th- we'll talk about a few of those guys. But, yeah, uh, there's, there's some different uh, kinds of guys we'll talk about as well. So do you want to get started with the, the first tier here? Yeah, well, just like big picture real quick. I feel like it's sort of there's like a top five kind of guys where who mm-hmm. are like the locked in elite guys. And then after that, it's you have uh, really the depth of the position because you've got some guys who are veteran guys who maybe are coming off slight down years, but still are very good players. And then you've got some young guys who uh, 
are, you know, either broke out last season or on the verge of a breakout. So, and then you've just got kind of the boring guys that are going to hit 25 (laughs) home runs with a low batting average, but it's still, you know, not the worst thing in the world to have those guys either. So you add it all up and you start getting, you know, we, we were aiming to rank maybe between 12 and 20 guys and we ended up having to do 30 because (laughs) there's just uh, so many interesting names to talk about so yeah let's jump into it since uh we've got a lot to cover on this particular episode and uh i believe i might have started off catcher so i'll let you start off who is in your top tier of first baseman for 2023 sure well no surprise here and i'll say i do agree with you with that there there's like a top five um and i think there's a top tier of that top five, I have it broken up into top two, and then and then three three other guys. You might have something similar, but I've got Vlad Jr. and Freddie Freeman as sort of a one A one B. You know, Vlad is he was the number one fantasy first baseman by a, a ton in twenty twenty one, and you know he was the betting favorite going into last year for all these home run RBI categories, and then his production dipped a little bit. Um, but I was looking at his his month by month, and he had a rough month of May, and he's you know he's a stud, uh, Freddie Freeman. He's my number two, and I think he's just as as solid as they come. You know, he's much more consistent. He's he's definitely going to bat three hundred. Uh, his on base percentage around four hundred. He's basically averaged those numbers uh, over the last seven seasons. Over those numbers, the last seven seasons, and um, yeah, he's been a top three fantasy first baseman uh, each of the last five seasons. So just rock solid. I think if you're toward the end of the first round, uh, you can take one of those guys. I don't know if I'm going to take him toward the beginning of the first round, but if you're at the middle to end, I would I would take either one of those guys. Yeah, I, I have those same two guys in my top tier of first baseman. I do have Freeman ahead of Vlad personally. Um, now, of course, this is outside of a keeper league where you would clearly prefer the younger guy, uh, almost 10 years uh, <laughs> yeah. younger, in, in fact, um, than, than Freddie Freeman and Vlad Guerrero. But in a redraft league, uh, I just look at it as uh, – Freddie Freeman is just, I mean, his his power numbers were a little bit down last season, and he still finished as the number one fantasy first baseman. So I feel like yep. um, he's just a little more, like, I'm a little more confident that he is going to be uh, that elite guy than I am with Vlad. I feel like Vlad probably has more upside. Like, he showed that in 2021, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, but last year, you know, you can say it was just a bad May, but all the stats count the same, right? And uh, sure, he was significantly less valuable than Freddie Freeman last year. Um, you know, I mentioned uh, Baseball Monster. They do this uh, using a standard deviation uh, of value to give it a numerical number. And Freddie Freeman's uh, number was at 1.54, and Vlad Guerrero's was at 0.8. So that's mm. a pretty sizable difference. You know, uh, Paul Goldschmidt and Pete Alonso were both also – significantly more valuable than Vlad in a standard five by five league last year. And again, I have Vlad ranked ahead of those guys. So I'm not saying I think that's going to happen again, but um, I do think Freeman is probably, you know, he led the position in stolen bases last year. Like I said, I think the power can come back up. Uh, He's a, you know, even better bet than Vlad hit for a high batting average. I mean, last year he hit over 50 points higher than Vlad. Um, and then just being on that Dodger team, I mean, <laughs> like it's just a lot of runs and RBIs. Not that Toronto is not, but uh, I don't think it gets really any better than than that Dodger lineup. So uh, if I had to pick in a redraft, I'll give the slightest of edges to uh, Freddie Freeman. 
Yeah, and I mean, Freeman hitting 325 last year, 300 the year before that, 341 before that. I mean, he's been so consistent, and he plays pretty much every day. Like, he missed three games last year, three the year before. Like, I mean, he's he's missed like six games in the last five years. So it helps even more, you know, on those roto stats, like for your average, because he's playing all the time, too. It's not like catcher where these guys play like 100 games and they bat like 220, but it doesn't hurt you quite as bad. Like, Freeman could really take your average up to the next level, plus all those other stats, obviously. Like, I mean, he had 100 RBIs, too. And just, yeah. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to. Uh, pick nits over uh, these two. I would, I would be like I said, I'd be glad with either one of them at the end of the first round. Absolutely, and I think given this, you know, like we said, this position has depth, but there are some significant drop offs, and I do think if you get one of these guys to anchor your roster, uh, it's not a bad way to start off your team at all. Um, so you mentioned you had three guys in your second tier. I'm guessing I know who they are. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I have one of those three in a separate tier of his own uh, below them. So, oh, okay. Uh, so you might be able to guess which of the three that is. I, I don't know. Maybe you won't. But uh, why don't Matt you tell Olson. me who you're? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> we we talked about Matt Olson a lot last year, especially at the beginning of the year, and how he's he's he struggled starting off. We've seen him have a really low batting average. I think that COVID year he batted under two hundred. Maybe. I mean, it was maybe he's just a slow starter. I don't know, but. I do have him at the bottom of this next tier. I have Pete Alonzo, Paul Goldschmidt, and Matt Olson. And I, th- I think you could, again, with Alonzo and Goldschmidt, you could flip them too. I mean, Goldschmidt was the number one fantasy first baseman last year. This guy, I mean, it's kind of like Freddie Freeman. I mean, he's consistent, right? Like, he averages over 32 home runs, 100 runs, 100 RBIs over his last eight seasons, excluding that COVID year. I mean, it's just, his numbers are crazy. He's not going to you know, steal a ton of bases like he did like many years back when he was a lot younger. I think he's he's 35 now. So, you know, I'm not going to consider him in that top tier because of the age, because he might fall off a little bit. But like he's coming off a great year. And I think if you wanted to flip him and Alonzo, I wouldn't I wouldn't hate that. So where do you like what's your order there? I know you have Olsen third of the, that bunch. Yeah, I have Goldschmidt ahead of Alonzo um, just because, like you said, I mean, I think his across the board contributions he's a more well-rounded player and uh, I sort of like to build my team that way in a in a roto categories league uh you know Alonzo is more home runs RBIs Mm -hmm. the averages won't kill you but it's certainly not an asset you know and um there's not much in terms of stolen bases either so uh Goldschmidt is the one that gives you the across the board production and honestly if Goldschmidt was a couple years younger, I think I'd have him in that first tier with Freeman and Guerrero because the numbers he's put up, like you said, they warrant that. I mean, he's been completely an elite player. Um, it, you know, a couple years ago, uh, I thought maybe he was starting to decline. You know, I think you look back at 2019, he hit 260 that season, and mm-hmm. uh, his strikeout rate had kind of gone up two years in a row in 2018, 2019 last year with the Diamondbacks, first year with the Cardinals. And I I thought he was going to be in a late career kind of situation where he had to make a choice between batting average and power and wouldn't necessarily be able to maintain both. Well, he has. He's maintained both. Uh, he mm-hmm. bounced back um, in the batting average department and has hit at least 294 in each of the last three seasons, hit 317 last year. And the power has continued at that 30-plus home run pace. And he's still chipping in those steals, even at, at the advancing age. So um, I think with him, it's really just, you know, do you are you worried that the 
wheels could come off at some point, you know, I yeah, like, yeah. if you're not worried about that, um, it's hard, it's hard to argue with what he's done. I think Alonzo is, um, you know, he's more kind of the, the prototypical first baseman, I guess. Um, but, and I do have him in this tier. The reason I have him ahead of Olsen is because I think you look at the numbers and it's kind of like they're the same type of player, except that Alonzo is better uh, in power and in batting average. So I had trouble mm-hmm. putting the two of them in the same tier when when Olsen's is sort of like an inferior version of Alonzo. Yeah, that makes sense, I think, because, I mean, while Olsen batted 271 in 2021, it came, it came way down last year, 240. And like I said, he I was just looking at his numbers. He did <laughs> hit below... 200 that COVID year which we kind of tend to throw out like when we're looking at stats because it's not a full season but still 60 games uh, he played so yeah I agree and like I think it was kind of a surprise that Pete Alonso actually you know his average went up from 262 to 271 so if he can keep it you know sort of above that 260 line that's fine with me because you know he's a guy who's going to hit 40 45 home runs he could hit 50 you know and like with the DH now like he's he's playing every day like he doesn't have to play first base he could DH some and uh, yeah, it's a really good lineup for the Mets. So really good lineup for the Braves too. Like I'm looking at ADP, Matt Olson uh, kind of makes sense for him to be a little bit further down. Like you have him in a little bit of a separate tier right now. His ADP is like 36 where these other guys like, overall, whereas Alonzo and Goldschmidt are more around 20. So like those other two are more like round two guys and uh, Olson's more of like end of round three, maybe even into round four. Yeah. And that sounds, sounds about right. Honestly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I traditionally have not been the biggest Olsen guy, but I have come around some. I mean, and certainly moving to Atlanta is a good thing for his value uh, as well. But, yeah, I mean, I just think there's been a little uh, fluctuation there. I mean, he still is, uh, for all the power that he has, he's still looking for his first 40 home run season and mm-hmm. uh, career batting average of 250. And you just look at Alonzo. And he's got two 40 homer seasons. Now, granted, one was exactly 40 homers last mm-hmm. year. Um, but he also has a 37 homer season. Just I feel a little more confident in the power. I mean, he hit 16 home runs in only 57 games in 2020 as well. So uh, I, I think he's pretty consistently producing at a 40 homer clip. And the batting average is uh, 261 So for his career. So just a bit higher in both of those categories. And that's that's really the difference for me. I'm not going to get as as caught up in the in the lineup situations i mean i think both of these guys are going to be in good lineups and have Mm -hmm. plenty of opportunities to drive and run so i think i think the run production numbers are hard to hard to distinguish and uh sort of unpredictable to begin with yeah i i think what you said prototypical first baseman like pete alonzo when i'm on the clock and i'm in the draft room i'm doing that online draft i'm clicking on pete alonzo over medals and every time (laughs) you know like yeah exactly it's like I don't know. They are. You're right. They're very similar. And yet, I don't know. I'm just Pete Alonzo. I just feel like he could have that Aaron Judge type season with the, the homers, uh, whereas I don't see that for, for Olsen. Exactly. Uh, all right. So after that, um, there's another tier break for both of us. Mm-hmm. Um, who, do, who do you have in your next tier uh, of first baseman? Okay. I've got, uh, I've got three guys here. Um, I could do a tier of five here, um, but I don't know. I kept it at three. Uh, Jose Abreu is my number six. Vinny Pasquantino, who I know you love, uh, he's number seven for me. And then Nathaniel Lowe, who I was talking about a little bit at the top, who was like my number 30th or something first baseman last year, which is crazy to think about. But, you know, he had a great season. Um, it wasn't the stolen bases that he added. He, he batted over 300 uh, kind of surprisingly. And, you know, he's got some power. But, yeah, Abreu's at the top of this for me. He got traded to Houston. 
Um, he's old too. I mean, Paul Goldschmidt's 35. He's 36. Um, but you know, he led all first basemen in RBIs in 2021. Uh, he finished as a top 10 fantasy first baseman, uh, in 20 last year. And, um, I don't know, like he, he still finished top 20, top 10, even though the home runs and the production were down. And I think like they could come back up a little bit, uh, moving to Houston. I think some of those could be home runs in that park. So I just think Jose Abreu in that lineup, I mean, it's almost like an upgrade, even though he is getting older and he could be on the downturn, but I still believe in Abreu. So what about you? What's your next tier here? So you mentioned, I love Vinny Pasquantino and I love him so much that I actually did put him in a tier of his own as well at number six. So for me, he, he gets in his own tier. Uh, I just, I feel like he was, awfully good last year in a very limited opportunity and I, I feel like he just um he just didn't get quite enough uh plate appearances to put up the kind of numbers that um are going to jump off the page to people but uh I mean it was awfully impressive I mean he hit 295 only struck out 11.4 percent of the time walked 11.7 percent so he actually walked more than he struck out as a rookie yeah <laughs> uh 10 home runs in 72 games um, may not look that huge, but um, I think he could easily get into that 25 home run range this season. I mean, he's only, he's 25 years entering his age 25 season, so uh, the power could really uh, develop more. I mean, he, between AAA and the majors, he hit 28 home runs last year, so uh, it's not a stretch to think he could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he doesn't add a lot in the speed category, but I think not many of these first basemen we're going to talk about do. Um, obviously I think he gets an even bigger boost in a points league because of his plate discipline. Um, but I just think a guy that combines that contact rate and power potential, it's, it's pretty rare. And, uh, I, I just feel like he's going to have a big breakout this season. So I I don't want to miss that. And that's why, um, I would put him in a tier of his own. Well, I think that's smart. And that's one thing as we're talking through doing these position previews, like having tiers, I think is really important. And especially, like I just said, like I could have made this a bigger tier for me, thinking like, well, if I get Jose Abreu or Vinny P, like that's fine. But for me, I'm like, where where this tier breaks off for me is Nathaniel Lowe because I'm like, okay, then then I have a, another little tier break of guys. So I always I, I like to get the guy at the bottom of the tier or toward the bottom, especially if I have a big tier. Uh, and so like if Vinny P for you is like a guy that you want, then, then definitely put him in his own tier. And, you know, I, th- I would suggest for people to do that too. Like as they're ranking and thinking about who the guys they want, make sure you put them at the top of the tier or maybe even in their own tier, like you did with him. Yeah. It's basically comes down to like, he's a guy I would be willing to reach around ahead of ADP to, yep. to make sure I get. And those other guys you mentioned, uh, I wouldn't do that for him. And, you know, I, for those guys, it's more like I'd be waiting for the value to come to me. Um, my next tier beyond Pasquantino actually has uh, Abreu and Lowe, but it has one other name that might surprise you a little bit. Okay. Uh, and that's CJ Crone. Oh, um, that does surprise me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll get to him first. I mean, the guy in this tier that almost is in the Pasquantino tier for me is Jose Abreu. Uh, I agree. I like his power was way down last season, but if you look at his stat cast numbers, um, I think they provide reason for optimism that he's going to have a late career rebound. And then just being in Houston, I mean, it's not like the White Sox was a bad situation, but Houston is a great situation. Yeah. So I think it's going to help his counting stats as well. Um, so 
you know, I feel like he's he could actually end up being a good draft value just because the fact he only hit 15 home runs last year and is 35 years old, like now third, entering his 30, age 36 season, like that's going to scare off some people, I think. Absolutely. Um, so I don't think you need to reach for Jose Abreu. I feel like he's the kind of guy that might fall into your lap. Um, like looking at the ADP, it's, it's not that low right now. He's at, averaging at pick 70, but... I don't know. I could see that falling um, come draft season a little bit um, because I think right now it's you know either sharp people or um, it's maybe some people that have just kind of uh, doing mock drafts without putting a lot of research into it. You know, mm-hmm. so either way, like one extreme or the other, it, it could inflate his value. Uh, whereas like the average manager who starts looking into stuff a little bit might be like, oh. I'm a little worried about this. And then maybe he drops a round or so in ADP. We'll see what happens. But I think that could happen. Um, I agree. I think people get, get excited for the younger players too. So the fact that he's at the top of my tier that I have here, I like that because I think Vinny P, Nathaniel Lowe, maybe even a CJ Crone or maybe maybe some other guys might go ahead of him. And then I might be able to kind of value into getting Jose Abreu in a, in a league. So that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. I mean, I don't think CJ Crone will go ahead of no, him. No, no, no. <laughs> I think CJ Cronin is going to be a very nice value himself. Um, you know, he was actually a top eight uh, fantasy first baseman last season, uh, even though he only hit 257. And I just, I think that's like the floor for his batting average, honestly. I mean, I know that's kind of similar to the numbers he put up earlier in his career, but he didn't play in Colorado earlier in his career, you know, like mm-hmm. it's a very different situation. And, um, you know, his first year in Colorado, he hit 281. So, uh, what I look at is he's going to hit right around 30 homers, which is what he usually does over a full season. Um, but I think the batting average is going to come up. I really do. I think it's going to be in the 270, 280 range. Um, and you know, the RBIs are always good too in Colorado, the run production numbers. So, uh, if I, if he was eighth first baseman last year, I think he's got a chance to be top five this year. Well, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit here. Um, I, I do have Crone as my number 11 first baseman, but as I was looking at my ranking, I mean, he's a, he's a tier lower for me and I, I honestly might move him down a couple spots. Uh, the thing I'm looking at with Crone really is you, you talked about him playing in cores and he has been much better since playing there, but his splits, you know, his home road splits, as you know, are just brutal away. So, you know, just looking at last year, he batted 302 at home, 214 away. Uh, he hit 22 of his 29 home runs at cores. So I just think he might be a little bit maddening, like depending on how your league is set up, you know, like if you have daily uh, lineup changes and you can play him at home and maybe even sit him or put someone else in, cause we're going to talk about a lot of first baseman here. Like, then I think he'll be he'll be fine, and I think he will finish as like a top twelve first baseman. But I don't see the top five production unless he can improve on the road. Because even like before he moved to Coors, and then now like his home road splits are such that like I just don't see the top five potential unless he played all his games at Coors Field. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess we do disagree then. I mean, you know, I actually think guys that have home road splits like that are are it's only beneficial. It's not harmful because. Uh, if you play in a league where you can't make daily lineup changes, then the value still adds up the same in the end, you know? Um, and whereas, like, if you do have daily lineup changes, then you could platoon him, and that actually makes him, even like, Vlad Guerrero half the time, and then you find yeah. somebody else as a replacement the other half of the time, and that's actually an advantage. So um, I, don't, I, I don't really 
um, see that as a negative so much. Um, I also, again, like it's pretty normal for for Colorado players to have more extreme splits because yep. uh, it, it really does affect their road performance negatively. And that's something people don't talk about that much, I guess. But I mean, you know, again, CJ Crone hit 281 in, uh, in 2021. So like, uh, that's kind of all he really needs to do. I, I feel like at least it depends on how other p- players produce. Of course. I mean, he was only the 11th best first baseman, according to Baseball Monster, in 2021, uh, even though his home runs were the same as last year and the batting average was a lot higher. So, um, you know, but last year he was the the first, the eighth first baseman. So it can it can vary a little bit based on what other players do. I mean, I'm not saying I think he has, like, elite upside or anything like that, but um, I think if, if you see a similar season to what happened last year, I mean, where a guy like Nathaniel Lowe was finished as the sixth best first baseman last year, I mean, I think... CJ Crone could easily uh, uh, produce bigger numbers than um, than Nathaniel Lowe did last season. I mean, uh, Nathaniel Lowe's RBI and run totals were pretty middling, you know. So, um, so yeah, I don't know. I like I the the consensus will be more with you on this one. I don't doubt it. I mean, like I'm above consensus on Crone. I just think that uh, like the 250-ish batting average. That's like what he did prior to Coors, and I think in cores most seasons as long as he's performing at the same level like he's gonna hit higher than that so that's yeah that's the reason i think he's a value uh as for low you know i just i don't know i sort of feel like last year was sort of a best case scenario for him so i have him in this tier but he's at the end of this tier for me and i, I actually do prefer crone to low for that reason i just um i just don't you know i don't think that uh he's likely to hit uh the 27 home runs again i don't think mm. he's likely to hit 300 again like those numbers are both going to come down i think and you know the rangers are not a a powerhouse offense it's not an amazing ballpark or anything like that so um i don't know i'm just not really buying a repeat for him yeah and i i mean it it is tough like you don't you don't want to pay for last year's stats i mean like if you get if you had him last year you know, if you drafted someone like him or drafted a Julio Rodriguez or, you know, like it's, it's great when you, you get a sleeper like that and they're, they're really good, but then next year you got to pay up and that's, you're right. Like he's, he's at the end of a tier for me, different tier. Um, but another guy, like in the next tier for me, I have, so I have an, I have another tier, you know, going down nine and 10. So Crone's down there at 11 for me, but two guys that we skipped over in between Crone for me are Reese Hoskins and Christian Walker. And you could really say the same thing for Christian Walker that you just kind of talked about with Lowe because, like, he's coming off a career year as well. Um, will he repeat it? That's kind of the big question here because um, he's hit under 250 the last couple seasons, but those 36 home runs, 94 RBIs, like, really jump off the page when you're looking at it. But, again, when you when you look at the splits, he batted under 200 in three separate months. Like, he got he was really hot and cold. So, like, what we were talking about with Crone, and, and I agree with you, like, if you can platoon, if you can do daily lineups and like platoon crone, like that is an advantage. Um, but with a guy like Christian Walker, I'm looking at like his home road splits and different things. And I don't, I think he's just like kind of hot and cold and just not <laughs> super consistent. So like he might be a guy who ends up as a top 12 first baseman again, but he might be kind of maddening as well. So like I'm personally not going to draft someone like CJ Crone, probably not going to draft Christian Walker either because. I, I kind of want someone more consistent. I kind of want to like a set it and forget it first baseman here at like the top 10 or 12. And I'm not sure those guys are for me. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think you need to draft them early, though, is the thing. And um, Walker might be I, – like, I, I see what you're saying. Like, I think he is um, hot and cold uh, in terms of over the course of a season. And you also don't know exactly where his production is going to come from. Like, some sometimes he's hits for a higher average. Sometimes he hits more power, you know. But, mm-hmm. uh, but I think you look at, at the end of the day, and he actually has been – a top 11 first baseman in three of the last four seasons in standard five by five leagues. So I think he, uh, he's a bit of a value. Um, I have him in my next tier, but my next tier is large. So um, really like I could see, I could even see putting Crone and low in the, in this big next tier and just putting a Brayu up with Pasquantino. Like I could see doing it that way yeah. um, because the reality is first base is extremely deep. So, uh, I'm not going to reach for any of these guys, like including CJ Crone, who I do like. I, I like him because I think he's a good value. You know, um, I don't think he's a guy you need to reach for by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, Walker and Hoskins to me are like they're fine. Uh, they have some flaws in their game. Uh, they don't have elite upside, but uh, they're a pretty good bet to finish in that like 10 to 15 range at first base. So yep. there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I could. I have a couple other guys that I might like a little bit more just because I of the potential upside. And one of them I know is a guy you like as well. That's Jose Miranda. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just think there's a lot of upside there. There's also a lot of risk, but his minor league numbers in 2021 were just incredible. You know, and um, he held his own last season. He didn't. Uh, he didn't do anything too special um, as a rookie, but. Uh, he certainly didn't look overmatched either, you know. So I feel like there's some breakout potential with him, uh, and then uh, Ryan Mountcastle as well. Uh, I think, like you know, and I know you're an Orioles fan, so I'll be interested to hear what you have to say about him. Um, I mean, his power numbers went way down last season, uh, but he actually had um, the uh, the second highest uh, slugging percentage. Uh, expected slugging percentage among all first basemen behind only Freddie Freeman. Mm. Uh, so I like I get that the 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 Camden Yards dimensions were not a good thing for him, um, but I don't think that that fully explains his his home runs going from 33 in 2021 to 22 last year. Like maybe the dimensions take away three home runs, something like that. They don't take mm-hmm. away 11. You know. Yeah. So I think he's going to have a, a nice power bounce back this season. Uh, he's still only uh, 26 years old, uh, right entering his his peak years um, as a power producer. So I still think there's some breakout potential uh, for Ryan Mountcastle, despite uh, the Camden Yards dimensions. Yeah, I I do think that you know zapped his power a little bit for sure. Uh, so looking at, I agree with you though. As we're talking through the tiers, I kind of like the idea of having Jose Abreu and Vinny Pasquantino sort of in their own tier, and then like, gosh, I really could lump a lot more of these guys in a tier. Um, we, di- we did. Di- yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like we differ a bit on CJ Crone, but like, you know, Miranda, Mountcastle, that's 13 and 14 for me. Um, Mountcastle. Yeah. I-, I think that like, you know, he hit, he hit 300 in the minors. Um, but he's really, he's, he's kind of hovering around the 250, 260 range, you know, the last couple seasons, I think that's kind of who he is. So I do worry that if, you know, those, that left field in Camden moving out really you know hurting his production a bit like he's kind of the reverse cj crone <laughs> you know the home the home field is hurting him um so like that but could, how it, but how different are his numbers gonna look um 
than than a, a Christian Walker or a Reese Hoskins. I mean, even if the batting average is around 250, like that's probably higher than those guys are going to hit. You know, so he he doesn't need to. I mean, I guess you you would say those guys can. You feel more confident they're going to hit 30 plus home runs is what I'm what I'm sensing here. Yeah, and and even even the next guy I have on my list, I'm gonna I'm gonna lump him in here too. Rowdy Telez. Yeah, he's so, next for me too. You know, I have him at 15, and honestly. I might move him up to like twelve. I, I I know he's on a lot of sleepers, you know, lists and stuff already. Um, you know, the move to Milwaukee, he hit thirty five home runs last year. Uh, you know, like he doesn't have like a super high strikeout rate. His walk rate was over ten percent. Like he batted two nineteen, but you know, one thing we started to talk about a little bit in the catchers uh, preview was some of the rule changes. And I know like the one of the big ones for some of these, you know, big powerful or not even necessarily powerful, but just lefties. You know, get shifted on a lot, uh, shifted on a lot. <laughs> let, me, let me make sure I pronounce that. <laughs> shifted on. Yeah. Um, and now you know you can't you can't officially do a shift, right? You have to start two guys on the left, two guys on the right of second base. I'm sure they're going to figure. I haven't really noticed it like going to minor league games how it works in practice. I'm sure they're still going to figure out a way to like put that shortstop right there near second and probably shift over a bit. But they're not going to be able to do those draft, drastic shifts. So I do think that. Someone like Telez could, you know, improve by twenty or thirty points. Uh, you know, I really do. So, I, I like yeah, him a no, lot. He's. I agree. I, I. I. think he's due for some significant batting average, positive batting average regression. And it's not like he's going to hit three hundred, but two. You know, all the projection systems have him hitting around two forty five. So, yeah. if he hits two forty five with thirty home runs, that's Reese Hoskins. You know, I mean, like. There's not much difference there, so I agree. I have, I, I have him and Hoskins and Walker all kind of back to back to back. The only reason I have Miranda and Mountcastle ahead is just because uh, of upside. Like, mm-hmm. if I this is another situation we talked about this on, on the catcher show a little too. Like, if I was ranking on fantasy pros for like predicting where these guys are going to finish at the end of the season, I'd probably have Walker, Hoskins, and Telez ahead of Miranda and Mountcastle. But yep. if I'm drafting, knowing that there's high replacement value on the waiver wire, I like shooting for upside there. Um, so that's why I would probably take Miranda and Mountcastle ahead of of Walker and Hoskins. I just I just think that there's there's more upside there. So yep. that's sort of how I feel. I have, like I said, this is a really big tier for me. I mean, I have it as Miranda, Mountcastle, Walker, Hoskins, Telez, and then I have four other guys in this tier as well. Ty France, Anthony Rizzo, Josh Bell, and and Joey Manessis. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. I I just, like, we, we could have an interesting discussion about him <laughs> because uh, he was really good last year. He came out of nowhere at 30 years old, and I, I get why people don't believe it, but um, he actually showed some signs before that as well uh, uh, in the minors um, and just kept it going in the major leagues. So, like, um, I know he's he's a player that a lot of people just wouldn't even consider just based on the lack of prospect pedigree and, and the late bloomer, but those those are the kind of players that can sometimes be, be undervalued. You know, I mean, um, yeah. he was – like he was very good in triple a before he got called up to Washington last year. Um, and actually even in, in 2021, uh, he was quite good, uh, in the Red Sox system. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, sometimes it just takes these guys a little longer. There's not, there's more than one path to uh major league uh, production. 
Well, uh, his uh, Manessas, his ADP is around 200. Um, now, it, it, it's different on different sites. Like on CBS, it's showing 87, which, I mean, and then on other sites, it's like over 200. So, you know, I don't know what it, what it will really be a month from now, but uh, I, I did not rank him in my top 20 uh, first baseman. I have a lot of guys ahead of him, but, you know, it's nice to have guys like him. If you, if you believe, you'll be able to get him probably in the last round of like a 12-team draft or close to it. So, and these other guys we're talking about, like, even Mountcastle and Miranda, um, you know, this might be your second first baseman that you draft potentially because we're we're already getting past like the top twelve to even fifteen, depending on how your draft goes. So these might be guys you're plugging into your utility position, and Miranda's uh, eligible at third base, so that that bumps him up a little bit for me too because you know we haven't done third base yet, but I remember doing the third base preview last year, and it was just like a hellscape, and <laughs> you know third base ended up not being that bad, but it was kind of hard to predict like. When we talked about third baseman, it feels the same this year. Like it's going to be, okay, there's like five, six, seven guys that you might want, and then who knows? So Miranda might be someone who is a nice sleeper, and you might even be able to plug in at third base. So if he's your yeah, second just, first baseman, that's nice. Yeah, and just the fact that there is so much depth at the position, like to me that's even more of a reason to, to draft a guy with upside. You know, Go for a mm-hmm. guy who has a path to being a, a high-end performer rather than uh, sort of this boring low you know low ceiling high floor kind of a guy because there there will be other guys you can draft like you said at the very end of the draft or even on the waiver wire throughout the season that you can that you can pick up and and slot into your roster I mean this is this is of course in a standard 12 team league uh, you know if you play in a really deep league uh, you might have to approach things differently but in a 12-team league with the amount of depth at first base, I, I'm inclined to draft a young guy with upside uh, With uh, if I'm going to be uh, you know, reaching or investing even in the middle rounds of the draft. Yeah, well, another another young guy with upside I don't think you mentioned was Andrew Vaughn. Uh, so I'll, I'll mention him because he's in this tier with uh, for me. Uh, he's, let's see, I think he's around 14 or so, 15. Uh, you know, you mentioned Ty France. He's in this tier. I have Andrew Vaughn as well. He's 24 years old entering his third season. He was the number three overall pick in the 2019 draft. Uh, so he's he's had a couple years in the majors now. And, you know, he's got really good prospect pedigree. Uh, hasn't really shown much power yet. His his projections, like depending on where you look, are anywhere from like 20 to 29 <laughs> home runs. And so that's way more than he's shown as far as his power. Um, but, he, you know, he batted 271 last year, which was up from 235 in 2021. You know his runs, his RBIs were all up. So if he's on a on a nice trajectory, I, I don't know what type of player he's going to be. I don't know if he's going to actually hit those thirty home runs. But I mean, he's someone if his if the price is right, and he's also outfield eligible, which is nice because outfield, you know, I've started to you know look at those rankings as well. Like he might be my number two outfielder too if I'm <laughs> if I'm drafting him. So um, Andrew Vaughn, someone who I'm going to put in this giant tier that I'm now I'm now rethinking my tiers a little bit. Andrew, I think I'm going to like have a big giant tier like this too because as we were talking about these guys a lot of them are pretty similar to me yeah I actually have Vaughn a little bit lower down uh, I've got him at 22 um, and I, I have him in a tier with some other young guys but the other young guys are guys I actually like more <laughs> um, <laughs> okay and that's uh, Miguel Vargas Alex mm. Kirilov and Spencer Torkelson and I think those guys are all riskier than Vaughn so like Vaughn has a higher floor than those guys I think like he's polished uh, he's been reasonably healthy. Yeah, uh, he's clearly going to start. You know, so like you know, Vargas has questions about playing time. 
Kirilov about coming off an injury and Torkelson just based on his his struggles last year were pretty immense. But I, I mean, I, were they really that much worse than Vaughn's struggles his rookie year either? You know, I'm not sure. Um, so I, I don't know. For those guys, I just feel like there's more. I feel like there's more upside for them than I do with Vaughn. I just um, I, I was in on Vaughn for a while, but I'm starting I've, I'm starting to come to the conclusion that he's just one of these guys that's better in real life than they are in fantasy. Like, uh, I just don't think his game necessarily is going to translate very well to, to fantasy baseball because I don't think he has um, much chance of hitting 30 home runs, and I don't think right. he has much chance of hitting higher than maybe two, 275. Um, and he doesn't steal bases. Um, his walk rate, even in a points league, his walk rate is just okay. It's not that, it's not that great. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I like, he doesn't strike out a lot. That's the nice thing, I guess. But, um, but yeah, I, I just, uh, I think he's like one of these players that like people look at him and they're like, this is a, this is a baseball player. You know, this is a guy <laughs> that looks confident at the plate. Like he knows what he's doing, all that, but th- we're playing a numbers game, you know? And, uh, I just, uh, again, I'm going to, it's a, it's a theme I'm going to come back to a bunch of times, but I want to shoot for upside. Um, even though Vaughn's young, I just don't, I think there are some of these other guys that might have more risk, but also more upside as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, Andrew Vaughn might just be like Ty France, who you mentioned too. Like he's going to, you know, hit for a good average. He's, he's not going to hit 30 home runs. Um, I don't think. And, um, yeah, just kind of a boring fantasy option, but it's going to give you some production, but yeah. Um, Anyway, I'm, I'm starting to rethink my tears as we're just going through this. Did you mention Did you mention Josh Bell at some point in that? I did. Place? Yeah, I had him in that tier and Anthony Rizzo as well. Yeah, uh, I have them he, at 18 and 19. Uh, so as we're kind of you know working our way down the list, I've always liked Josh Bell. Um, you know, he was a good prospect coming up to the Pirates and took a while to sort of blossom in that organization as some some do. And he hit 37 home runs in that 2019 season, where a lot of people hit a lot of home runs. Um, but yeah, like. He's he's bounced he's bounced around a little bit. I don't know if he's found a home in Cleveland. I'd have to look at like what his contract details are. But regardless, like I still believe he can bat two sixty and hit thirty home runs. So I think if you're getting Josh Bell, who uh, I don't know if he's outfield eligible or not actually, but in any event, like he he's someone who I'll draft late and plug into a utility spot. Like I'd be okay if he was my first first baseman, I suppose, because I think those numbers are like kind of a prototypical first baseman, 260 and 30 homers. I'd be fine with that. You know, he's not giving you much else, but that's fine. Yeah. I mean, you know, honestly, like these guys, Ty France, Josh Bell, Anthony Rizzo, like they're all flawed players. Like there's something about them that makes them not exciting players. I mean, like France, Mm -hmm. like you said, there's not a lot of power and there's not, or speed. Um, But he's just, he's a good hitter. You know, he's going to hit for a solid average and He's actually finished as a top 12 first baseman in fantasy in back-to-back seasons in 5 by 5 leagues. Hmm. Uh, Josh Bell has been a, you know, he's almost always a top 15 fantasy first baseman, even though uh, sort of like Christian Walker, you don't know exactly where the production is going to come from. It fluctuates a little in terms of which categories he's excelling in from one year to another. But, it, you know, he plays a lot and ends up sneaking into that top 15 year after year. Anthony Rizzo, I mean, he used to be a better fantasy option than he is now. His batting average has really plummeted in recent seasons, but uh, he still has that 30 homer pop and a little bit of stolen base potential, and he plays for the Yankees. So the run production numbers are going to be nice. Um, So I just look at those three guys, and I'm like, why would I 
spend an early pick, an earlier pick on a Christian Walker or a Reese Hoskins when I can just wait till the very end of drafts and get a Ty France, Anthony Russo, Josh Bell. Like, I don't think there's going to be a huge difference in uh, the uh, fantasy production of those guys. They're all the kind of guys that finish in that like 10 to 15 range at first base. Yeah, Rizzo, you know, again, I have him down here too, sort of around that 18 to 20 range. Um, the, the average, like you said, that that hurts. 224, he hasn't hit, you know, he hasn't hit better like than 250 since 2019. So, yeah, he's at Yankee Stadium. You know, it was He was a nice surprise last year, I'll say. Like, he had a really good first half. Second half, not as good. But, like, he still might hit 30 home runs. Uh, you know, it's a short, short porch in right field. He pulls the ball a ton. I mean, he's hit 30 home runs a ton in his career. So, he'll probably do that again. But, yeah, the average is a little well, rough do you think the average might come up though with the rules about the shift i mean he seems oh. like the classic player that's been harmed by the shift you know i mean he's a dead pole left-handed hitter he is i'd have uh, to look at his fly ball rate because i feel like he i feel like he hits a lot of pop-ups um well i think he hits a lot of line drives though too and like yeah. um you know the, the, there's like if they have like an infielder playing in, in shallow outfield like you know that what was that position they used yeah. to have in Little League? The like, the, the like fourth outfielder or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like uh, I mean, if you have a guy playing there, I th- I feel like I I don't know. It's anecdotal, but I feel like Rizzo has hit a lot of sort of like hard one hoppers into shallow uh, right field and um, and been thrown out at first base on those plays. <laughs> no, it's a good. I mean, honestly, like I wasn't even really thinking about that, and I need to have that in the back of my mind with all these kind of lefties who pull the ball a lot because. Yeah, it, it's possible he brings the average back up to 250, and then he would be, you know, even even better. So yeah, I'll uh, I might consider that with Rizzo, might bump him up a spot or so because that's that is a possibility. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. So, do you have any thoughts on these these young guys I brought up? Vargas, Kirilov, Torkelson. I mean, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Well, I'll just say like I'm looking at ADP, like Torkelson and Kirilov. I mean, that you can get them around pick 300. So like I like those picks. I like them as sleepers. Definitely like as you're making your queue, put them in there because they're just great values. Because those are guys who have come up, they've played, they haven't looked good. In Kirilov's case, he's been hurt a lot. But Torkelson, like we loved Torkelson last year, you know, and like he was just over. We overdraft these guys with the anticipation. I think that's what's probably going to happen with Vargas. Like Vargas is going to be drafted higher, especially if it looks like he's going to be playing every day, which we'll see how the lineup shakes out. But I think I heard like he might play second base. Yeah. Um, so that, that's interesting, you know, that he might be able to play first and second for you. Um, definitely, if I'm if I'm getting a guy down here, I like the idea of getting a multiple, you know, sort of eligibility uh, player. Alec Bohm at first and third. I'll loop him in here too because he's a young guy with a good prospect pedigree for the Phillies. I have him kind of in this group as well. So, yeah, I like – you know, especially late in the draft, I like taking one of these guys with an upside. I don't know how I'd rank them, but I know based on ADP, it's probably going to be something like Bohm, Vargas, and then the other two guys. But I mean, Kirilov and Torkelson might be the best values just because you can get them like in the last round or two. Yeah, I'm not so in on Bohm. I just, uh, I don't know. He, I sort of feel about him sort of like I do about Vaughn, except more so. Just like it just doesn't seem like it's happening for him. Um, you know, in a way, like the fact that Kirilov and Torkelson have less uh, at bats in their major league career, like makes me like them more because it's like, <laughs> yeah, they still like we still don't. There's still the allure of the upside of the unknown, right? You know, um, and like you said, you you don't have to pay the price that you do with Vargas. So, you know, I feel like Kirilov versus Vaughn. You look at it; they're like kind of similar um, in terms of being guys with strong 
plate approach, maybe not much in terms of speed, but Kirilov smokes the ball, you know, like I feel like he hits the ball much harder than Vaughn does. Um, so I, I still think he's one of the best pure hitting prospects in the game and just needs to stay healthy. I think it's going to happen for him if he does. Torkelson, like I was, you know, I was excited about him last year and it was yeah. a big disappointment, but um, I mean, he's still only 23 years old and he, he has that elite prospect pedigree as well. You know, I think the main thing that was disappointing was he was supposed to be like a polished rookie, you know, like he was because uh, he had that, um, that experience from, from college. So it was mm-hmm. like th- seeing that he would adjust quicker to the, to the majors. And that's just not always the way it works for, for guys, you know, but um, he's, he's still a player. I really like the plate approach with him and I haven't given up on him by any means. Well, uh, let me, let me mention, I know we're down here sort of in the twenties now um, tears out the window, you know, <laughs> at this point, but let me, I want to give you like the next, like kind of three guys on my list who, and they're not necessarily like exactly the next three, but guys who I think are at least interesting to talk about um, sort of in the twenties here. Uh, Will Myers, uh, first base and outfield eligible uh, now with the Reds. I think if he's going to be playing every day, that's I always like to look at the Reds because it's just a great ballpark to hit in. Um, so maybe maybe CJ Crone light there. You know, getting you know I always like to look at cores and uh, and Cincinnati, and then you know Boston. Talking about the young guys, Tristan Casas, like he's he's interesting as well. Young, we haven't really seen what he could do. Uh, I think he got a little cup of coffee last year. I have to pull up his numbers, but again, sort of a late round dart throw, but someone who I think is going to play every day because. You know, you look at that lineup, and I think he'll he'll be the starting first baseman, I assume. Um, and they got rid of J.D. Martinez, so they don't have, like, this DH, you know, plugged in uh, as well. So, yeah, a uh, couple guys there. What do you think about either, either of those? Where do you have them? I did not rank Will Myers. I, I think I – even though he's in Cincinnati, I just – I don't think I can envision a scenario where I'll ever have <laughs> Will Myers on a fantasy team again. I just uh, – he's just – That's fair. Really um, kind of gone downhill. It feels like eons ago that he was fantasy relevant. Uh, I guess his last really uh, particularly useful season was probably uh, – well, 2019 he had 18 homers and 16 steals, but he only hit 239. I mean, that's kind of like – that was that was the last hurrah, really. I mean, he's not he he hasn't hit twenty home runs since twenty seventeen, hasn't stolen twenty bases since twenty seventeen either. So, like, you know, the, the steals have gone down. The, he was never a batting average guy. Um, so, I'm not really feeling the Will Myers one. I get it, but I think I'll, I'll probably be passing on him. Um, I do have Cassis ranked, but um, I sort of have a, a tier of young guys that I don't like quite as much as the other tier of young guys and. So he falls in that group for me with Bohm. Okay. Um, I just, I just, uh, like, I think he's got a ton of power, but I just don't know if he's going to hit enough home runs to make up for not really being strong anywhere else. You know, yeah. that's sort of my concern with Cassis. Uh, a guy I actually might like a little more than than Cassis and Bohm uh, among younger guys is Juan Yepes, who mm, got yeah. off to a really hot start last year for the Cardinals and then kind of fell off a cliff, but. Um, still, I mean, he's only 24 years old and he's hit 55 home runs in 237 games between the minors and the majors over the last two seasons. So he's shown a lot of power. Um, and I feel like he's flying way under the radar. So he's a guy, if I'm taking a young guy at the very end of a draft, I might go for Yepes over Cassis. Okay. I mean, that's, that's fair. I have, uh, I have Yepes down a little bit further, like around 27th. Um, but you know, again, I could have a giant tier as well. 
I um, have him 28th, actually. So, okay. Uh, like, I have a tier of other, you know, guys that I still think could be really good. I mean, like, this is just shows the depth of the position. I mean, like, I have a tier. These guys, uh, Josh Naylor, Brandon Belt, Jared Walsh, Jay Cronenworth, and even D- DJ LeMahieu. I Like, all of those guys, like... It wouldn't shock me if any of them ended up finishing as a top 12 fantasy first baseman, honestly. I mean, Naylor is a guy that I still – like, I didn't know whether to put him in, like, the young guy tier or in, like, the boring, <laughs> you know, veteran guy tier. He's kind of like a tweener, you know? Yeah. Uh, but he's 26, and um, I don't know. I just – watching him play, I've always felt like he has a lot more power potential than he's actually shown to date. So, um, I don't know. Maybe maybe this is the year that he finally gets uh, – gets, the monkey off his back and hits 30 bombs. Um, Brandon Belt's a guy, uh, you know, I think I talked about him a whole bunch last season. Uh, you know, last year was kind of tough, but uh, he just, you know, injuries are always an issue with him. But he put up huge numbers uh, with the Giants in 2020 and 2021 when he wasn't hurt. And, um, you know, now he's going to Toronto. I, I think he'll probably be their regular DH in a great lineup. Um, so there's still definitely some bounce back potential for Brandon Belt for at least as long as he's healthy. And Jared Walsh, I mean, this guy, is there anyone whose stock like collapsed more in, in one year than Jared Walsh? I mean, like he was seen as like a top 12 kind of first baseman um, coming into last season. And then he just had a terrible, terrible year. Um, but he was very productive the previous two seasons, you know? So I feel like yeah. he's just like the classic bounce back candidate. He could be, I mean, what, what I've, you know, he, he was coming off that thoracic outlet syndrome or whatever that, uh, you know, I don't know if you have surgery or what, I know Steven Strasburg had similar and he was never kind of the same. So I don't know how it kind of affects pitchers versus hitters, but Jared Walsh is kind of, I don't know, like he could, yeah, like he's definitely like a it would be like a last round dart throw for me just to see what happens if he can get it back because I liked him coming into last year, but then after last year and knowing the injury, I think he's sort of he's more like off the board for me. Um, one guy I don't think we've mentioned yet either is Seth Brown. So he's a thir- he's thirty years old. I'm I'm wondering like what's the difference between him and and uh, what's his name Manises from from Washington? Well, you know, they're on bad teams. They're they're <laughs> old. You know, older old. I shouldn't call a thirty year old old, but you know, like older guys who kind of broke out. I mean, he hit 25 home runs. He had 11 stolen bases, which is which is nice. Um, but he only batted 230. Like the like there aren't it's not like some great season, but he was like a top 15 first baseman. <laughs> when you look at the numbers, I'm sure the stolen bases bumped him up a lot for that, but you know, like we didn't even talk about him, but he's and he's outfield eligible. Where do you have him? Like 30, 35? <laughs> Yeah, I didn't rank him. I I could see it. I mean, I I think the the key for him was the eleven steals because yeah, like he's not going to hit for a high average. Like he's going to. You said what's the difference between him and Joey Manessis? Joey Manessis hit three twenty four last year. Oh, <laughs> you okay. know, well, and that's Seth Brown hit two thirty. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a pretty big difference. <laughs> yeah, okay. um, yeah. I I mean, I think they're very different types of players. I mean, um, I feel like Joey Manessis, like seems like a, a better hitter to me. I mean, Seth Brown has some pop, and if he runs, then he might be able to make it work, you know, because uh, I just think he's the kind of player where those steals are, like, essential to his fantasy value because, uh, like, he's, you know, the 25 homers he hit last year, like, that's that's a probably on the higher end, you know, for him. I mean, maybe yeah. right around there, but if he hits 25 home runs and doesn't steal any bases and hits – 230 then like he's terrible you know like yeah <laughs> he really needs those like 10 steals again to like 
make it work. You, you know, one one name I didn't hear. Maybe you maybe you did when when you were rattling off some names, but Luke Voigt, a name to keep in mind. He's a free agent, so like I have him like at thirty eight right now. But if he lands with a team in the next couple weeks, uh, he's someone who I would probably move up just because you know he's got a lot of power. Um, he he's he's dealt with some injuries and stuff too. But like Luke Voigt is is someone if he's with a team will be on every fantasy roster for at least a couple weeks. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, I am very prone to chasing after Luke Voigt anytime he is uh, healthy. I mean, he's just uh, – he's shown massive upside uh, yeah. in, and he in gets short hot. spurts. He, he, yep. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't tend to keep it going for a whole season. And, and then, of course, there's the injuries as well. But yeah. when he's going well, uh, it, it's, it's very – he's like you're, exactly what you said. Like you pick him up, you put him right in your lineup, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what about where do you stand on Cronenworth? Because like, I've always felt like I was like a low the low man on 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 Jake Cronenworth, and I know like people might not even consider him a first baseman. Maybe that's like a Yahoo thing, but um, I, I just like he's got weird kind of numbers because it's it's sort of like he always seems to like have really good run production numbers, you know, and, and yeah. like those end up boosting his value in 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 categories leagues a lot, well, and points leagues as well. Um, so, like, last year, for example, he had 88 runs and 88 RBIs. So, even though he only hit 239 with 17 home runs, like, he was still valuable in fantasy. And the year yeah. before that, he had 94 runs, you know. So, um, you know, I guess it's nice to be in San Diego. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I have him as my number 26 first baseman. It looks like he's also second base and shortstop eligible. You were saying he's got some different eligibility there. Um I think what I worry about with him is just like, you know, we didn't have Fernando Tatis uh, for basically all of last year, and we won't have him for, is it 20 games? I forget how many games Tatis is missing at the beginning of the year. But I think, yeah, I think it's around that. Like, like around 20 games. So, like, I think it's possible Cronenworth, you know, has a nice start. Uh, maybe you can, maybe he's serviceable, but then, like, Tatis comes back and maybe he shifts out of the lineup. Not out of the lineup, but, you know, down the order a bit. And I don't know. I just wonder how this lineup's going to look. I'm, I'm going to have to dig in. I mean, like, like I said, we haven't, we haven't dug into every single uh, position yet, but with Cronenworth, you know, I might have him ranked a little bit higher at some other positions, but like as a first baseman, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm more willing and like eager to take some of these guys, like the Miguel Vargas's and some of these, like, like Tor- even like a Torkelson, you know, ahead of him, just to see what might happen. Whereas with Cronenworth, I'm not too excited with, with, for him. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, I have, I have him ranked below those guys, but, um, I do think he's going to play, though. Um, yeah, like I think he'll play. I just I worry that he won't be, you know, bat like second or third. Like I feel like he batted. I'll have to look at his his splits. I feel like he batted pretty high in the order a lot last year. You know, and I don't. I mean, know roster that. resource has him projected to bat fifth, and, okay. and be their starting first baseman. So I, I feel like that could lead to a lot of runs in RBIs again. I mean, if you're yeah. batting right behind Juan Soto, Manny Machado, and Xander Bogarts, and right in front of Nelson Cruz and Matt Carpenter. Like, <laughs> that's not yeah. bad, <laughs> you know? But then you get Tatis back, so you got to plug that. So maybe he drops down to sixth. Or Either you know. way. I mean, Tatis, getting Tatis back just makes the offense even, even sure. more powerful. So Yeah. I think it's – I mean, DJ LeMahieu is pretty much the same as far as I'm concerned. I mean, yeah. like, it's just about the run production. Like, you're not really – going to get much else from him at this stage of his career it's just about that that run production and the positional versatility so like you know Cronenworth and LeMahieu are both eligible at three positions in Yahoo and are probably going to score a a bunch of runs so yeah in a deeper league especially I think there's some value to that 
I will say at this point in the draft, like, you know, we're talking pretty far down here. Uh, I do like getting that position eligibility across the board and having that flexible guy you can plug in because injuries happen and injuries will happen. I mean, you'll, you'll draft someone who's injured <laughs> immediately, <laughs> you know, like injuries happen so much in baseball. You wouldn't think it would be, you know, it's not like a contact sport like football or even basketball or something, but you know, guys get hurt. So yeah, it's, it's nice to have that flexibility with these guys. Yeah. You know, and I would just say big picture, like, in fantasy sports like you need to be humble you know like things are not as clear and and aren't going to go exactly as you expect every every year you know so like oh, yeah. right now it's like we feel like and it's not just us like the you know the industry as a whole i'm sure feels pretty clear that like there's these this top tier of these five guys and then there's you know maybe some difference of opinion after that but like there's going to be some guys way down this list that ends up end up having really good years, you know, and there's going to be oh, yeah. some guys really high on this list that end up having bust years. That's just the way it is. Like we, we do, we do our best to try to uh, assess this based on um, last season, underlying numbers, career trajectory, all this kind of stuff. But then there's just, there's just some madness to it. There's the Joey Manessises of the world that come out of nowhere, you know, and <laughs> yeah. the Jared Walshes that fall apart. I mean, like, it's just this kind of stuff happens. Sure. And, like, some of the guys we talked about in sort of like that that third tier after that top five, Vinny, Vinny Pasquantino, Nathaniel Lowe, uh, then you get to, like, Christian Walker. These aren't guys we were ranking up here last year. So you're right. We're going to see some guy or maybe three or four guys who come up. Um, I think Rowdy Tellez, uh, for me, I think I'm going to try to draft him. Uh, there, there's certain yeah. guys, I think even, even like a Josh Bell or some like there's certain, there's guys down here in the twenties. I like, like someone's going to have a big year. Uh, it could be Vargas or like, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be someone. So, uh, yeah, good, good point. Yep. And again, it's first base. You're going to, you're going to be able to have at least one or two intriguing names on your roster, pretty much no matter where you draft from. So, yep. uh, so don't sweat it too much. It's a, it's a very deep position, but uh, if you do get one of those top five guys or Vinny P, I think uh, <laughs> you can make a pretty good case uh, for doing that. Or or Ho- Jose Abreu, depending on how you feel about him. So I think that's kind of where we're at, right? It's this, yeah. It's the top five, and then Vinny P and Abreu, and then pick your flavor of ice cream. <laughs> yeah, and let the draft come to you. Hopefully, the, hopefully down after after Abreu, like if you get one of those guys as your first first baseman. Hopefully, it's one of these other guys are your second first baseman, and then maybe you get even a third guy with some flexibility. Yep, yep. All right, I think that that about wraps our discussion of first base. We're gonna keep hammering through these positional previews over the rest of February and early March. Uh, we'll we'll be doing our second base preview next, uh, early next week. So listen out for that. Uh, in the meantime, if you do have any early spring training related fantasy baseball queries for your humble hosts we would be happy to answer them on twitter i am at andrew underscore seifter and i am at barton wheeler we appreciate everyone listening to the podcast if you like the show please follow subscribe rate and review we are out of here we gone you've been listening to the rest of season rankings podcast Go to www.rosrankings.com for more.